Alright, welcome to the Hollywood Pipeline Podcast. I am Dax Holt and I am joined by my co-host Adam Glenn. How are you doing, sir? Dax, I am good. I'm in New York City. It's sunny. It's like maybe 58, 60 degrees. It's starting to get warm. I don't have to wear a bulky Canada goose jacket right now. Uh, it's good. It's a good time to be oh, back in New York. Your muscles, they're, they're wanting out. You, you gotta release the pythons, huh? Dude, I've been trying. It's and now I'm trying to slim up. I'm trying. I'm going to the salad bar now. I'm trying to. I, dude, it, you don't understand. I wear so many layers. My back hurts. You know, so it just feels good to have layers off. And people are like, they, you don't see anybody's body for months. So people, every time, like you start, people are like, oh man, you got skinny, man. I'm like, no, I just lost four layers of under armor pants on and everything like that like no it's just how it is but i miss la but it feels good to be back in new york i got some good videos going uh good some good paparazzi videos i got elizabeth warren the other day that video became really big for me uh her running away from me in new york penn station uh that was <laughs> well, she fun, wasn't but- running away from you but we'll, we'll get into that i want to bring in i want to bring in our guest because you do ha- you did get some good videos this week i want to talk about but We've got someone here that is a legend, legend in the radio world. I'm calling you that. I saw your face, Brooker. (laughs) (laughs) Got carried away there already, but I like it. I like where we're going with this. uh, We have on someone today who is motherfucking Booker. Oh, yes. I I forgot. I would introduce you like that, so I did. Welcome, buddy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And I'm sure Elizabeth Warren definitely ran away from you. Dude, she – we'll get into it. Can I just – tell the fucking story while Booker's here. So I got Elizabeth Warren the other day. I see I'm, – I'm right near New York Penn Station, and all of a sudden I see this nice SUV pull up, and Elizabeth Warren comes out with like four other young girls, and I'm like, oh, shit. And no one really – in New York City, it's like – it was like – it was actually like close to seven o'clock. So everyone's trying to rush. It's rush hour. Everyone's running to Penn Station. So I run after her and she hauls ass into New York Penn Station. She's like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to catch a train. And here's our presidential candidate running to catch a train in New York City. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to follow her. So I start running after her with a tra- with my camera and she can't even, she's outrunning her her team like she's racing to get to the train and she got i followed her and then all of a sudden she realized she caught up to it she had enough time and then she was like oh you're still here good and she talked to me for two and a half minutes interview <laughs> really but honestly so what i found out she just did the colbert show she just she, she was all dressed up she had her makeup on she just did the colbert show her team reached out to me and said we got more out of that two and a half interview in Penn Station than we did at the Colbert show because <laughs> this interview made her more yeah. – it humanized her because all mm-hmm. of a sudden she there she was trying to be like – just being like everyone else, catching a train at New York City during rush hour rather than the Colbert. So it was cool. It was fun and it worked out well for me. It went on TMZ, Fox News, uh, ABC. It went everywhere. So it did very well for me. That's yeah, awesome. I, I, I got to say I made me laugh just watching her run through the middle because like – you would never see, like, even before Trump was in office, you would not see Trump running through <laughs> <laughs> to, to catch a train. I don't know. It was it was a fun video. So nice, nice get on that. At one. At what point did you realize that she's in better shape than you? Oh man, right away. But she got to remember she had a head start. I was a little stoned, so there's two things that played into it. I was like the oh. stoned interview. I love the stoned interview. I, I did love that. Like she was trying to talk to you and like keep her breath because you could tell she was a little winded from the sprint because it wasn't mm-hmm. like a short sprint. It was like a long sprint all no, the way downstairs. Right. But you could tell she was like escalator 
And I got it. You got you're right. You're right there. You're going down the escalator. You got to run by the Dunkin' Donuts on the left. You got. I know the entire run that you took. I mean, that's a long. That's a long haul. But you know what? Can you just imagine what the people who are also waiting for their trains or they're delayed, and then all of a sudden they're like, "What the fuck is going on? Is that Elizabeth Warren? Like maybe, probably not, but maybe our next president hauling ass to catch a train, talking to some." 32-year-old lopsided head dude, like in, with a camera, with an old-fashioned VCR recorder. Like, what? What is this world? You know, but no one stopped her. And actually, it's funny. There was, uh, there was another politician who walks by in the background of the video that I found out someone reached out to me. But yeah, Joe Biden walked by. Yeah, Biden, exactly. What's going on, guys? Anybody want to talk to me? Yeah. So but good. all right. Fuck Elizabeth Warren. We got Booker on the show. Booker, I'm excited to, for you to be on the show because, listen to this, I I, mean, I was a huge fan when you were at 92.3 K-Rock in New York City. I was an intern at the Howard Stern show Come when on. you guys were there. So I was right across the hall from you uh, wow. a year, dude. I was there for a year. I was, I was at K-Rock with the Howard Stern show and mm-hmm. then went serious with the Howard Stern show. And I was – such a fan of your show. Now, Dax, you were in LA. You don't. I don't know if you realize how big Booker was in New York City. Because first of all, this is K Rock in New York City, which doesn't exist really anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. This was ninety two point three. It was just the coolest channel with Howard Stern in the morning and then having Booker at night. It, in fact, me and my buddies still talk about Booker's show. In <laughs> fact, me and my buddies went online and like stalked out Jill, the hot intern, uh, <laughs> Jill, the know? barely 18 intern. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like she was like, she's we, a record executive now, by dude, the way, she works with Greta Van Fleet. Yeah. She yeah. signed Greta Van Fleet. As a matter of fact, she yeah. uh, works for Jason Flom. Dude, it's so sick. But we, I remember like we would like stalk her. Cause I was across <laughs> the hall in the Howard Stern office and he would be in the studio literally across the hall. And every time that like Jill came out, we'd be like looking out and just trying to check her out without looking too because it was a small And Jill's I, like four eleven too. She's a tiny little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, man, man. It's uh I <laughs> those were such- some good days. And you know what it is? I was trying to pinpoint it and I was watching the dirt the other day, the Motley Crew uh uh, movie, mockumentary, yeah, yeah. whatever you want to call it. I'm watching that. And to me, it, it gave me a lot of K-Rock flashbacks in the in the times that you were talking about. Because, And I kind of pinpointed why it seemed so special maybe to you and even, definitely to me. It was that last moment before the internet. And you could be a, a kind of a minor celebrity. I don't know if I'd ever call myself a celebrity in New York, but... You know, if you were in the Stern world, which, you know, nine out of 10 New Yorkers listen to Howard, you got some shine from that. And we still had our anonymity where we could go out and get into trouble. And the guy I worked with, Kane, if you remember Kane, he was on before me. You know, we were the toxic twins back then, and we were in so much trouble all of the time. I mean, we were getting tossed out of bars and just drunks and just having the best New York City experience. And I was thinking, you know, you couldn't do that today. You couldn't have that anonymity. You can't have that that fun that you used to be able to have or that whole, oh, let me get my camera to capture this. We didn't take any pictures of that time. I mean, it, it just, it, it was that last free moment that we had as a society. And I, I think us being in New York and and kind of being the rock and roll boys and, you know, being under the stern umbrella, it was 
it was magical. It was fun. And watching the dirt really reminded me of that. I was gonna say, not to mention cool. how different just radio is in general. Like, sure, sure. How how big of a star you could be on radio. Like I remember growing up in uh in, in Colorado and we had a uh, Jamie Frosty and Frank on. And Jamie was literally like the most famous person that I could think yeah. of. She lived down yeah. the street from us and it was just like <laughs> she was such a rock star. Yeah. And it's like it's so hard to like really make a name for yourself in radio yeah. these days. We knew the cops in New York. We knew we knew everybody. We were just connected. We we ran in all of the right circles. We could get into any bar that we wanted to. And we were just lower east side rats. We were just hanging out downtown. That's all we wanted to do. It was a different day. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, that that feeling of being the man or, you mm -hmm. know, people knowing who you are, especially in a city as big as New York City, the island itself, the little Manhattan's small. And once you know the rock and roll scene and you know everybody in it, it, it was a lot of fun. How often do you get recognized the second you open your mouth? Because it's one thing for radio, like, you know, some people, they don't have no idea what you look like, but they know your voice. So yeah. when are you talking to someone and they're like, wait a second, why I don't do I know think you? it happens out here that much, but um, it, every now and again, I called customer service not too long ago for something. I forget what it was, a delivery. And there's this girl on the other end and she goes, can I ask you a question? I go, yeah. She goes, you're on the radio, right? And I go. <laughs> Yeah, she goes, oh, God, I know your voice. Like, you have such a distinct voice. I, I never really thought that I did, but yeah, it, it, it used to happen a lot. Not as, you know, Los Angeles is a lot. I, the show is different. I just, you know, I'm a DJ in Los Angeles. I work for a music station. The show that uh, he's talking about would be the a talk show. It was a talk rock hybrid kind of show, and there was a lot of personality. It was much more like podcasts are today. Yeah. Do you, yeah, it was so good. Dax, I'm telling you, dude, this show. It, I'm not, <laughs> Booker, I'm not even kissing your ass, dude. When Dax thank you, told, thank like, you, dude, thank you. We, we, we might have Booker on shows. Are you kidding me? Like, I was more excited <laughs> for you. <laughs> but it is funny because New Yorkers, I no, no one could give a damn in uh, Los Angeles. But New Yorkers, even when I go back and I'll go to LAX or something, there'll always be some dude that's our age. Mm -hmm. Or maybe your age or closer to my age. But, you know, the dude's that sweet spot between 30 and 45 or 50, whatever it is. They're like, Booker, you know, like I hear it like they're it's like they're reliving their youth because <laughs> we were such dickheads on the radio and we had such a fun time and. It was there cool. were no rules. It was, it was cooler. It was just fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You got to share a green room. Like, your guests would share a green room with Howard Stern. It was the same green room. So, I mean, you and can't so imagine how mind blowing that is for me, though. I mean, I, you know, my first Howard Stern experience, I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, coming up through radio. It's my second radio job after Wheeling, West Virginia, all these major cities I'm working in. And my, <laughs> my station. They blew up my station. It was a top 40 station. They was playing like alternative and rock back then. And they blew it up to go classic rock. And they put on this guy, this New Yorker, Howard Stern, to do mornings in the South. And apparently it was a small, it was the smallest radio station that he was on. I want to say maybe it was like his 10th radio station. And I was like, who is this guy? And this guy's taking our job. And oh, and I would I just I hated him initially. And then I started listening and I'm like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> so then I, I become like, I, I end up taking a job in another market that's almost 100 miles away. And I had this cassette system where I could load in five cassettes. So I would tape his entire show every day because I had an 
hour and a half commute to and from work. So I would listen to the show. I became super fan. So I'm listening like every day, every break, every moment that he did. So imagine being that kind of fan, then coming up through radio after that, going through a bunch of markets, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, eventually getting to New York, working on Howard Stern Station, then becoming friends with the guy. I mean, you have no idea what that's like for me. So it was oh, crazy. I, dude, I trust me. I get it because I, <laughs> I, I I interned there for a year. I grew up in the same hometown as Artie Lang in Union, New Jersey. So, you, you know, we had a lot of friends and I did a lot of stand up with like Rev Bob Levy and Shuley and those guys. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm a stand up comic. So I just knew all these guys. But once I got the intern, I actually got an internship at the Opie and Anthony show because mm -hmm. I applied for Howard Stern for months, for years. I couldn't even get my foot in the door at the Howard Stern show. Finally, I applied to through Jim Norton. I applied at the Opie and Anthony. I got a call the next day for a meeting with uh, the Opie and Anthony, and I got the job. And then all of a sudden, a week later, I ran to Dan, the song parody man. And Dan oh my God. Like, he, he, he's the guy that created my show intro, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but nice. yeah, it's the book of man, y'all. He's the one so, that came up with that. That's so cool. So Dan hooked me up with Anne Marie, who worked at the Howard Stern show. Yep. And I got it within five days later. I quit Opie and Anthony, and I went to Howard Stern. And you understand, like the first day, once I saw... Howard was my coffee. I'm such a big fan. Right. And I deal with celebrities all the time where even when Gary came into the office for the first time, like the whole time I was there for your, I was starstruck every single day. Like it was yeah. hard to be, be normal there because I was such a fan and dealing with like Baba Booey every single day. Like right. even go get his, I was the best fucking intern because I was such a fan. <laughs> all these interns were just like, they didn't really know the show. It's like their parents told them, oh, this is pretty cool. But I was a super fan. So I was starstruck every day answering the call for Marianne from Brooklyn or High Pitch Eric or even dealing with how, like getting Baba Booey's breakfast every morning. I was like cleaning yeah, up after Beetlejuice. <laughs> so what was that? Wait, tell me, oh, no, tell, Booker, tell no, me your first actual face to face with Howard Stern. I'm, a, I'm sure you remember it. That thing. Um, I remember starting in New York and I want to say it's my first day and you guys could help me with this. There was an actress that she was actually, I think she won an Oscar or she was nominated, but she was an older kind of, she was an older lady and she always was on the show in the early nineties. And boy, I can't remember her name, but she was one of the original kind of like, it wasn't like Jessica Hahn. It was after Jessica Hahn. I really wish I could remember her name. Anyhow, she was this actress and she was in the lobby. And I remember, uh, she was there and I'd heard her on the show before and I'm on my way in on my first day. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's someone that's on the show. And this woman was nominated for an Oscar and I'm sitting next to her and um, I listened to her on the show and I went in for my interview and, you know, I spoke with everybody or not my interview, I guess probably my first day. And I want to say it was maybe my second day. I had um, passed Gary in the hall and, and Gary was talking about the new station and how we changed formats and blah, blah, blah. And he was saying Booker's here. He's like, oh, bring me Booker. I want to meet Booker. You know, I got to meet that guy. And so I met him in the hallway and he was you know, he's, as you know, he's the sweetest man in the world. He's, he's, boy, he's just the opposite of the guy he's on the radio. He's, he's just, uh, he's just a sweet, sweet guy. And he's very, uh, attentive and, uh, really in, always intense and really genuinely wanted to know about you. So, I don't even know what he asked me. I was probably just shitting a brick. <laughs> 
he's a different guy than he is on air because he is a very sweet guy. But yeah. you also know the guy who he is on air. So he, I'm the guy on air. He's very neurotic, you know, and he's very – so in your head when you're talking to Howard Stern, are you nervous because you are a fan but also you want a good impression? Yeah. Are, how are you feeling? Were you kind of – because you do a lot of stars. Were you starstruck to meet him? Well, this is – you know, I'm 25 then, so this is a long time ago. So I, I'm sure I was starstruck, but I don't know. He has a calmness. He calms you down. In part. It's more. It, it, it's tougher being on the air. I remember being on the air the first couple of times. I mean, he threw me right out. He just couldn't get out of here, Booger. You can't tell a story and just toss me out of the studio. He, <laughs> he would never. He would never do that in the hallway. Um, so y- there is that, and there's there's part of knowing that it's a show and, and sort of understanding that. Uh, but it was weird. Yeah. It was always, it was always strange. It's still strange, you know, being friends with, you know, the King of all media. It's cool, but yeah, he's my hero. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen while you've been there, like in the green room or in the hallways of K-Rock, either with the Howard Stern show, or not the Howard Stern show. Like maybe was it Jeff, the vomit guy? Was it strippers? What, what, what was it? Yeah, God, I don't know. I mean, it was always a circus. I don't know if I could pinpoint any specific moment. I, I think it was just the the turnstile of crazy that wor- was the hallways. Whether, you know, it seeing Beetlejuice for the very first time is, uh, boy, it's it just stopped. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so but cool. you can't believe he exists. You're like, oh my god. It's like seeing a it's like seeing a unicorn. You're like, oh my god, you're you're even weirder in person. So it was a lot of that. You it's know? Amazing. It, yeah, totally amazing. When you see Beetle Dex, you have to see Beetlejuice in person. It's honestly, I see Shaq, I see Hulk Hogan, some of the most iconic people see in person. But right. once you see Beetlejuice in person, it's like if you put your two fists together, that's the size of his head. And it's just <laughs> it's it's literally And it's like some teeth coming out of it and it's oh, it's a lot I, coming at you. <laughs> you never know what kind of mood he's in. So I got some great Beetlejuice stories. I was on the road with Beetlejuice. Uh, this is about you. It's not about me, but I have some great Beetlejuice stories. It's fine. I'm just jealous because I am such a Howard Stern fan. So to, to know two people that have got to work with him, see mm-hmm. him in person, I'm like, ah, uh, I need to get to New York. I need to just, I just need to run into him once. So wait, let me just tell you this one story, this Beetlejuice story. I'm <laughs> on the road with that. He's like, I gotta tell I, you. I can't help it. You just can't. It's great. <laughs> so good. And this is like the only chance. No one ever asked me for these stories, but it feels good. Just It's therapy for me to just say it. So I'm on, I'm doing a two-night gig with Artie and uh, Bob Levy in some random place in Pennsylvania. This is Artie's a mess at this time. He's 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 on one of his benders. Anyway, at the Saturday night after the show, they made us do host a karaoke party for the people in attendance, but Artie wasn't there. It was me, Bob, Levy, and Beetlejuice. Now, I'm a nobody, okay? I'm in my 20s. I'm a nobody. So I host the after party with the key party of me, Bob, Levy, and Beetlejuice. Bob Levy, who's a comedian, gets trashed, has to leave the thing out later. But he goes, Adam, can you watch Beetlejuice for me? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll I'll watch Beetlejuice. So we party till like 2 in the morning, and then I take Beetlejuice because you have to bring him to his room and put him to sleep. <laughs> I put him to his room and sleep. <laughs> Uh, Why I, do you I have put, to him, put him to sleep. He's just that sounds like, about right. You have to like rock him. Anyway, I go. I put him to sleep. I go. I go bang this chick. Okay. I walk the girl out of the hotel at like five in the morning. Who's sitting in the lobby reading the Wall Street Journal upside down? Beetlejuice. <laughs> I'm like, what? What the fuck? I'm like, Beetle. What are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just waiting for Bob to go home. 
I'm like, Beetle, it's five in the morning. What are you doing? So all of a sudden, I sit with them till seven in the morning, till like, because I don't know what to do with them. Finally, at seven in the morning, the people from who are at the staying in the hotel, who are at our show, are like checking out of the hotel, and they see me and Beetlejuice in the same clothes from the show. And they're like, "What the fuck happened to these guys?" I'm, I, I look, I look like terrible. So I go to the hotel people. I go, "Listen, can you watch him for an hour and a half? I'm gonna take a nap in my." <laughs> Like, like he's a dog, Dag. <laughs> I, I go take a nap in my room for an hour and a half. I come back, Beetle's missing. I'm like, oh my God, what am I do? He's gone. He's missing. I start, I go to his room. I start walking to our hotel. Beetle is gone. He doesn't have a cell phone. He's just missing. Mm-hmm. I start walking around the whole neighborhood. Finally, what happens is I find Beetlejuice in a church by himself because some person saw him just walking around. It's like, oh, this guy needs God. And they <laughs> in the church. And I uh, literally, Beetlejuice just sitting there just like sleeping in the back of the room. So I'm like, Beetle, come on, let's go. I take him. Then we went to some bar and we played pool for an hour. And Beetle's like an awesome pool player. And uh, finally, like, it's like noon and B- Bob Levy wakes up and like, he's like, oh, Beetle, let's go home. I'm like, but here I am, 20s. I'm walking around hanging out with Beetlejuice in the middle of fucking nowhere, Pennsylvania. Oh, it's so good. Anyway, back to you, Booker. <laughs> I just want to hear more Beetle stories. Well, that's a stories. pretty good story. Listen, let me ask you this. You're, you're, you are a legend on the radio. And, well, but, let's not get carried away. No, you, Booker, fuck you. You are. You're a legend. <laughs> maybe to you. But, but thank yeah, you. maybe to me. Maybe me and Beetlejuice. But yeah, here's you the and thing. Beetlejuice. You, are you the have one. a good radio voice. Is that something that you were born with? Or is that something you create? Like you just kind of – you become this natural, very strong voice. How does that work when it comes to a radio voice? I've never really thought I had, had a great voice. Um, I always knew that I had a loud voice. When I was in high school, I – I remember one time I was in speech class of all classes and I was doing something and a teacher from the next room came over to complain about me because my voice has always been the loudest. It's always carried. Then I'd heard that more than once in school where teachers would complain to the teacher of my class. Hey, could you shut him up? Because we can hear him down the hallway. So I don't know if it's a great voice. It's just a very loud voice. Now, That's what it is. Have you have you gone back and heard like tapes from when you first got into radio? Like has your voice morphed over the years? You should hear my first. I, it's in my drawer in my bedroom. Um, my first. I didn't know how to be on the radio. And I was just emulating what I thought a radio person sounded like. So somehow my voice was even deeper. I'd be like, uh one hundred point five Womp FM. It's uh Booker and uh, it was stupid. <laughs> it just was so bad. It was embarrassing. But uh, no, I think it takes a couple of years to figure out what your flow is. And I look, I, I've been a top forty DJ. I've been a rock DJ. I've been a talk DJ. I've been a classic rock DJ. I've had so many different careers. So there's a lot of different styles for the different stations that I'm on. I mean, I do top forty still in Los Angeles, and it's. It's quicker and slicker and it's faster where yeah, if say, I'm doing talk, it's very, you know, you take your time and you tell a story. I was going to say if you miss that, because I feel like when I listen to you on amp, it's very quick little sound bites. You're just transitioning into the next song. Do you miss yeah. having more of a long format? Because I feel I would, like you have stuff to say. I would lose my mind if it wasn't for the podcast that I do with Perez. And I'm very thankful that he... Uh, dug me up and decided to use me on the podcast with him. Um, 
I, I, I enjoy the longer form. I think this is fun. I do, I do believe I have a point of view with things. So it's nice to be able to express them there. But to be honest with you, I don't know if on FM radio, I could get away with many of the things that we get away hell on this podcast, let, let alone the podcast I do with Perez, its opinions. And, you know, with the podcast, if you don't like it, you just don't subscribe on the radio. If, you know, if they don't like it. They, they email your boss and they try to get you fired because it's a lynch mob mentality now. So yeah. I don't know how long I would last free form on the radio in 2019, to be very honest with you. Who over the years has been your favorite guest to interview in studio? in studio because i feel like in studio you get to actually see them as a person experience them so who is that person over you I mean you've had a long career but is there one you know, or band I, or anything i would say my my favorite interview and that would be for because i work for entertainment tonight too so i got to go through the a-list that way my favorite person to interview was tom cruise of all people interesting oh i'm because, sitting i'm listening intently right now you ready? Um, ready? I I love Tom because Tom is one of those guys that remembers you. Number one, and he's a he's a professional. He he gets that you have a job to do, and he wants to give you what you need. Let me give you an example. He was being honored for something, and. Paul Newman was going to be there because they did the color of money together. And nobody told me that he didn't know that Paul Newman was going to be there. And I work for ET. So we're the first people on the red carpet and I'm, I'm kind of the warm up for everybody else. So they didn't tell me that he wasn't, that he didn't know it was a surprise, but we knew. So I just went to the interview and I'm talking to him for a second and I've interviewed him a couple of other times at a couple of other red carpets. And, I said, wow, this is crazy. I go, Paul Newman's going to be here. Do you guys still really keep in touch? And Tom looks at me like, Paul Newman's here? And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the biggest, oh, fuck. I really just, I screwed this up. Like, I screwed, I screwed up somebody else's night. I screwed up the whole agenda of the evening. Tom, just like that, he just goes right into showman move, uh, mode. And he says, he's like, oh, Look at you. You blew it, man. Way to go. You you guys getting all this? He blew it. But he did it in a, you know, in a tongue-in-cheek way. I mean, sure, he probably wanted to find out inside, but he was like, that's the moment he found out, and he knew he was going to make good TV out of it. And he saved my ass. Okay? Like, <laughs> really, I could have got, I could have, maybe I would have gotten in trouble. I don't know, but he saved my ass. That's my favorite. My number one, Tom Gritton. Now, my number two story is, I forget what the red carpet was I was doing, but I interviewed him and he always remembers. And he, when you're finished, when Tom decides that, that it's over, like if you have good questions for Tom, he will wait till you're done because he wants to get that moment too. He's like, if I'm going to stand out here, I'm going to make sure you get what you need. And the best part about him, like I said, we're all, we were always first on the carpet. I remember going through all of the other stars of the movie and looking down at the end of the carpet with the people with the with the tape recorders, there's Tom. He's sitting there. He's talking to every person. And I was like, that's why you're still in Hollywood. <laughs> and that's why people love you. And that's why you put asses in seats, because he's a genuine guy like that. And he really goes out of his way to know you and 
you know, try to give you what you want. So I, I always say Tom was my favorite. You know, That's what I, was gonna say? Cool, I feel man. that there is a common theme here with these people that are extremely, extremely famous, be that Howard Stern or Tom Cruise. And I know that Adam, you've said this before about Oprah. They connect when they're in person and mm-hmm. they focus on you and make you the most important person at that moment. Give you eye mm-hmm. contact. Don't worry about anything else. And I think that's what's making these people successful is they're able to be there and present, which you, right. a lot of reality stars don't. A lot well, of these- I was just going to say the, the, the dickhead youth of America, these kids that think they're interesting or they're very important. And I'm, I'm very important. I can't talk to people on the red carpet. I, I can't give them my time. Those are the ones I laugh at because I'm like your career. You could put an egg timer on it. You're going to be finished soon. It's the people. It's the profession. Yeah, I, I guess I'm plucking uh, Scientologists here, but another one that's great at it, John Travolta. He's another one that just absolutely he is there for you. I'm here to give you your moment. He's another great one. Sharon Stone another Never matter. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was just going Scientologist. It'd be no great idea. if I was like, she's the best too. That's weird. Um, <laughs> or like no. Sharon Stone was great. She was, she was another one that when she was on the carpet, she knew to give you a moment. One night I was at Sundance and I'd interviewed her a couple of times. And when you interview these people, you don't assume that you're friends with them. At least I didn't. Maybe that's why I sucked at the job. But I always was like, they don't want to talk to me. They're, they don't want to know me after that damn microphone's out of their face. They're on to the next microphone. So I'm at dinner with one of the producers of the show. And um, and I'd interviewed Sharon, but not at Sundance. I Maybe something in New York. And a couple of times, nothing where she would know anything about me or we would, you know, consider each other friendly, even just interviews work, you know, work. I'm at dinner with a couple of people. We're sitting around the table and Sharon Stone walks in and everybody's freaking out to like, you know, it's Sharon fucking Stone. She walks into a restaurant. Like people are like, even at Sundance, people are like fucking there's Sharon Stone, man. She walks by, she sees me at the table. She goes, Oh, Hey Chris, how are you? And my initial thought was, there must be someone else named Chris at this fucking table. Because I'm looking around, I'm like, I'm like, she's talking to me. And I'm like, hi, how are you? She's like, I'm good. It's nice to see you. You're covering Sundance. I said, yeah, I am. And she's, okay, well, it's good to see you. And she keeps walking and everybody at the table is like, you know, Sharon Stone. I'm like, no. <laughs> she's just fucking awesome. That's really cool. Was that when you were yeah. at ET? What's that? Was that when you were at ET? That was when I was at ET, yeah. I felt good because I was in L.A. two weeks ago and Bow Wow came up to my table and said hi. I'm not even joking. I was like, oh, hey, that's did. a get. Oh, Bow Wow's fun. I was like, that's so cool. But you know what? Going forward, he earns, in my book, it takes one second to make someone a fan for the rest of your life. And I, for you, I feel like you now have this different opinion relation, a different opinion of Sharon Stone. For interest, uh, for for example, Shaquille O'Neal told me whenever Shaq, well, I actually have seen it firsthand. Shaq's a buddy of mine. Whenever Shaquille O'Neal walks into a room, if you're in his path, he shakes everyone's hand because obviously he's a huge dude. Everyone's gonna look at him, so he'll just all he'll do is he does not necessarily take photos, but he'll shake their hand. I'm like Shaq, you're so good at that. And he goes, listen. All I need to do is shake someone's hand and they're a fan for life. That's all I need to do. And it takes one second and you just created a new fan. And I, it sounds Mm -hmm. like, you know, to you for the rest of your life, you have this story of Sharon Stone. You're like, you know what? 
she's a cool person. She's present. She's nice. She's a, she's right. cool. You know, like she, she appreciates it. So, yeah. And it, it doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't. You just have to always kind of keep in mind. You never know who that usually it's a younger person is going to grow up and turn into. Yeah. Is that going to be the next Sharon Stone or, or Jennifer Lawrence or whomever it may be? So, yeah, it's true. Who is, there, is there any person that you feel like, you know, speaking of, has there been a younger star, actress, band, musician that you dealt with early on in your career that you feel like you had something to do with their success? And now what I obviously it's a very small part, but you feel like, man, I had that person when nobody else wanted to interview them, when nobody else wanted them to have them on your show, you had them on your show. Mm, you know, I worked at MTV. I was an MTV VJ, so I had a lot of those baby bands come up and come through, whether it be no doubt at the beginning or, you know, whomever. Um, I don't, I don't like when people try to take credit for uh, other people's success. And I, a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I discovered that band and I'm always like, no, you didn't. The fucking A&R guy discovered that band. Okay. <laughs> Unless you saw them in a club uh, before they were signed, then it's a different story. I remember bringing on Hootie and the Blowfish when I lived in Myrtle Beach. They used to play the Purple Gator. They were just a local band. And I used to see the following that they had. And I would sit there and go, I would sit there and say to myself, how the hell, how is this band not signed? Because everybody comes to see them. I guess I don't know anything about the record industry. <laughs> then they get signed and they have like the largest debut album of all time. And I was like, shit, why did I, why did I sign that band? <laughs> why did I get into that business then? But. I, I I don't I can't really say that there's anybody that I, uh, that I broke or or helped. I, I just I've seen a lot of them on the way up and I've seen a lot of them on the way down, too. That's the uh, other fun part of things. So I, I'm looking at the, your wall behind you. It looks like you have a frame full of ticket stubs or something. Is that what that is? That's what that is. So uh, are these all concerts or what is it that uh, you are? I, I have. I have boxes and boxes of ticket stubs and I saw that at one of my friends' houses and I, I said, I'm going to try that. So I'm going to pull out a bunch of, uh, you know, concert tickets and I just threw them to the board. I have like three more boxes over here to do it with as well. But it, it, it is, most of it is my, you know, K rock, New York memories. So, I'm looking at it. I see dysfunctional family picnic. I see Howard's movie premiere. Do you I was, was going to say out of, out of all the ticket stubs, which one is like, the one that you look back and you're like, that was a fucking cool night. <laughs> I mean, each and every one of them is a cool night because I was in my 20s. <laughs> you know, it's just it, VMAs. I look at the VMAs when I worked at VMA and I remember those nights of going out afterwards. Metallica with the symphony. I remember going to that show with Howard. So, Marilyn Manson, the government, gods and government tour, whatever that was, you know, going with Manson and then going out after that show. That was a lot of fun. Um who had the craziest backstage? I don't know if I've ever seen crazy backstage. I, I've seen crazy. I ran with Manson for a while, so I saw a lot of that craziness, but I never saw any of that backstage. I did, I did meet Rosario Dawson backstage at Marilyn Manson. I do recall that. But no, I don't. Re I don't really ever remember any swinging backstages. I think backstage is sort of a an industry thing. If if, if good things are happening, I was never really invited. It was a lot of hanging with a couple of beers. 
Okay, so th- that this is actually interesting. I've never heard any stories of what Manson is like in real life. Take him <laughs> off stage, take him out of the makeup. What Let is me tell you guys a great, Manson like? Let me tell you a funny story. So Manson would come to New York, and and like I said, this was before the time of the internet. So you could, you know, you could do dumb things and he'd always stay at the michelangelo hotel which was like on 52nd and the station was on 57th and he would call he'd say uh hey i landed i'm over at the hotel either come over to the hotel or i'll come over to the radio station and he would often i'd still be on the arrows when i was doing six to ten he would just pop in at the station you know unannounced marilyn manson shows up so he comes into the studio one night and he looks like hell just looks like he'd been in a, a fight, looked like shit. And uh, and I was like, uh, you look great. This is I cracked the microphone. First thing I see him, I go, you look great. You've been working out? He goes, I just got off the Blowflex. <laughs> the Bowflex? <laughs> Blowflex. Oh, Blowflex. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what a joke. Uh, he's funny. And so one night we went out. And I had a Jeep. I always have a Jeep. That's my thing. I always have a Jeep with the top off. And in Manhattan, I get off the air and jump in my Jeep. And he said, let's um, let's go downtown. I said, I got my car. He said, did this drive? I said, okay, but I have my Jeep. It doesn't have a top on. He said, no big deal. I'm like, okay, no big deal. This is going to be fun driving through Times Square with fucking Marilyn Manson in a Jeep, <laughs> open air in New York City. Gets better. So we go through Times Square. People are losing their fucking minds. They're like, is that fucking, that's Marilyn Manson. So people are freaking out and we pick up a passenger on the way. Okay. So we stop like it right around NYU. He doesn't tell me, he says he's going to pick up a buddy, a buddy. Okay. So we pull up. I don't know if he calls or whatever, but the buddy comes out. It's Macaulay Culkin. Oh shit. So now it's me, Marilyn Manson and Macaulay Culkin in an open air Jeep in Manhattan driving around. (laughs) What a fucking shit show. I'm like, this is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. That's like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. (laughs) At at two in the morning, you know, but yeah, there's a lot of crazy days like that. But there's, there were so many because like I said, it was before the internet. If someone saw you, they saw you as a story forever. It wasn't posted on someone's page the next day. You weren't worried about anything. Could be out hanging with Limp Biscuit or Rob Zombie or whomever, whatever rock show we were at. There were, you know, two to three rock shows every night. We'd hit them all. You know, it was just a, it was a different day. Now, do you do you ever run into Manson and say hi these days? I haven't. You know, I when I worked for Entertainment Tonight, I I would come out. He played me some new music once, and when I when I came out, he's like, "Come up to the house." So I came up to the house or went up to the house. And uh, this is when he was with Dita. And <laughs> I ring the doorbell. Dita is in like a gown. And she's holding this fucking hairless cat when she opens the door. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, welcome to the freakiest place ever. And uh, she's pissed that I'm there. I'd, I'd just flown in and it was late. I went to my hotel, then went to his house. And he was already fucked up. He was drunk out of his mind. He was drinking absinthe, he told me. Like, this is when the illegal stuff, the real Wormwood shit that he probably snuck into the country. And he tells me, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, I go, you, you seem like you're a little messed up tonight. He says, uh, yeah, Dita's pissed. Fucking band's pissed. They want me to go to rehab. I said, rehab? He goes, I said, so what are you going to do? He looks at me, 
It's rehabs for pussies. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so I guess he didn't go to rehab. But I, ha- I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen him in a lot of years. I haven't, it's been quite a few years. I'm just not in that, <clears throat> you know, I don't have the job where. You cross uh, paths. Yeah. My, now, when I met Manson, that's probably a, sh- a story I could tell. When I met Manson, it was great because I had just, I was on MTV and I had just done an interview with Trent Reznor. And Trent threw Manson under the bus about something, if I recall it. It was, it's something that pissed off Manson. They were, they were feuding back in the day. And he, <laughs> I forget he called him an idiot or something. I don't know what it was, but it was on MTV. And, you know, it wasn't the Internet. It was MTV, and you, you hear about it, and other people told him about it, and so on and so forth. So he's pissed, and he's doing promotion. And it was at this place on 72nd Street. I remember that. And he was doing promo, and we were in this basement. And I was supposed to interview Manson that day. And I didn't know that I'd pissed him off. I had no idea. But I'm a huge Marilyn Manson fan, and it's the first time I'm meeting him, and I'm so excited to meet him. Now, he comes in with Twiggy. He's got a baseball bat, and he, he comes in downstairs, and he is he's neither one of them are laughing. They're, they're very intent on ruining my interview and possibly fucking me up. <laughs> like they were not – they really – Manson was pissed, but I don't know why he was pissed at me. All I did was ask the question. I don't, maybe I laughed along with Trent Reznor. I don't know what it was. So I'm like, whatever, this is his thing. He's dark. He's not going to say anything. It's not going to get in the way of my fandom because I'm a fan and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go over a few things before I go on to camera with him. And neither one of them are really breaking character, very dour looking. And I, it felt very uncomfortable. It's like, all right, this isn't going well, but we'll see once the camera turns on. So the camera turns on and they both look at each other. And Manson's like, I can't fucking do it. You're too nice. And I go, what do you mean? You're uh, What? He goes, oh, we came here to ruin your day. And this bat was to break the camera because we were pissed at MTV for what you did. But I just sat here and listened to you for 15 minutes. And you're such a real fan. <laughs> I just I couldn't do it. So that's that is the moment when Marilyn Manson and I became became buddies. You know, we we started hanging out because of that, because he realized that I was a really, you know, true fan of the band and, as, and of his. But. Uh, yeah, he he's one that had always been cool to me all along the way. So he's a nice guy behind all of the crazy. Yeah, that's intelligent awesome. and extremely articulate, funny. God, is he funny? He is funny. That's he so could funny. be a stand-up comedian, funny. And that that's so bizarre because that's so like anti what his his image is. Like you don't picture him as like funny man. You picture him as dark, scary goth dude. But to see him dark, funny, dark, dark funny. It's it, it's. Very, a very dry humor, but uh, cutting, searing, just uh, always to the point. I mean, like his blowflex joke. That's yeah. the perfect Manson joke. He's just <laughs> very quick, scary, intelligent. Marilyn Manson's a very, very intelligent guy. Where was it? Or what no, was, how it? was it? Like, what was it? That was the inside like. Is it dark? It was, Is it like- it was, yeah, it was dark. And, you know, keep in mind, I came late at night. Then we would disappear down into his basement to listen to some music. Um, I don't remember it being so big. And I I think I want to say maybe it was above the 
the comedy store maybe like right around that area but i didn't know what you know that's when i would visit la and i didn't know where i was a car would take me places <laughs> I, you know i fuck i could have been at sherman oaks for all i know i have no idea do you miss new york i do i miss um i'm a huge met fan i'm i'm bummed to, about missing uh, opening day tomorrow um i i miss the camaraderie the there's something when you get on the train in New York on the subway, you all know you're in it together. There's all, there's 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 a kindred spirit in New York, even for a city that's so big. There's something that says we're all New Yorkers. We're all in it together. We're all here together for whatever reason. It's a feeling you get when you live in New York for so long. You, you sort of understand it, even if you don't talk to somebody or you don't even have the connection. You all know that it, there's only a, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a finite amount of space there and you're all occupying it and you all have to kind of respect each other in it. Um, there, that doesn't exist in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a, um, a very cold, independent, cold, independent. There's yeah. a good word for it. independent. Yeah. You know, it's tough to, I would think for your job. It's like when you get out of the studio, when you're in New York, you run into people who are fans of you and then you get that instant gratification. where like, Oh, people were listening. People are a fan. Whereas in LA, you jump in your, back in your car and you go home. You don't see anybody. So you don't really get to feel like, Hey, no, was no, Adam, it's, Adam like it's not even that it's people don't give a fuck out here. That's, it doesn't that's like, it. even how yeah. it doesn't matter how famous you are. You could be, julia roberts walking down the street and there's still gonna be people they're like eh it's julia we see her all the time at starbucks i'm not and giving like, her the time of day yeah they don't care they don't care they don't they just good. don't well i know we're, we're we're kind of coming down on time i got one last question for you booker we talked about your very your favorite people that you had in the studio some people you had some great stories but what was your worst celebrity experience that you've had maybe working at et or even in studio have you had any really bad experiences ashton kutcher Really? Yeah. Yeah. What Ashton happened? Kutcher. I <laughs> love telling this story. So I'm at Sundance and Ashton was dating Demi Moore. And it was a big deal. You guys remember how big that story was when they were dating. He had the butterfly effect out. And now the butterfly effect wasn't a Sundance movie. When you go, I should backstory. When you when you're an entertainment reporter and you're and you have to cover Sundance. For about three weeks before, you have to go see a litany of the most shitty, shittiest movies you've ever seen in your life. And it's just a lot of bad movies, but you're 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 prepping. You're getting prepared for your interviews. You need to, you know, know who you're talking to and what their movie's about, so on and so forth. So I do my homework and Sundance is a is a very, very tough day. It's up at five and in bed at one, back up at five, and it's interview, 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 red carpet, interview, interview. It's just it's one thing after the next. So in the midst of the day, I get the call. Hey, um, Ashton Kutcher's here for, uh, I'm like, yes, I know he's here, but he, he's here. They're, he, they're going to sit down and talk about the butterfly effect. First thing I say is, well, it's not a Sundance movie. I, I, I haven't seen it. They said, it's fine. He just did the junket here in Los Angeles. Like yesterday. I was like, okay, then what's my, what's my angle? How Sundance Look, on these shows, they're trying to get how, where's Demi? They just want their nuggets. You know what yeah. I mean? They want, they want their moment. They want their whatever. And I said, okay, that's cool. I said, I'll, I'll go. And by the way, and I never understood the concept of me seeing the movie that the that they've made. I'd rather, 
look at about it. it. Yeah, it, as just like a fan, as the person on TV. Hey, tell me about this movie. Why should I go see it? What's What's interesting about it? Who's your character? How does it? You know, there's a lot of great questions if you haven't seen a movie. So. I that was my way to attack this interview. I go and I sit down and but I did say to them before, not to Ashton, but to the people, I said, look, I, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, I'm just here covering this for Entertainment Tonight just because they're at Sundance. I know you guys want to get on the show because he's at Sundance. They're trying to do promo. I sit down and he's with uh, Elizabeth Smart, I think, was the co-star of that movie. And I sit down. And so I take that angle. I said, Okay, the butterfly effect. Now, as someone that hasn't seen the movie, you know, what is the butterfly effect? Where are we coming from here? He stops. Because you haven't seen the movie. I said, no. And he said, well, you know, there's showings every hour. You could go, oh, you could go, you could go see one. And I said, well, it's, I'm still, I'm cool. I'm I'm not combative. I, I get my job is to make those people feel like, those people, stars. I, I, no, I'm sorry, I haven't seen it. I said I'm here working Sundance. Uh, they told me that you would know that I wasn't here to, you know, see the movie. Well, you should have made the time while you're here to go see it, um, because if you were a professional and you cared about your job, you would be a little bit more professional, and you would go see the movie. So I wouldn't sit here and waste my time. And he takes off his fucking microphone and he throws it down, and I. And I so I'm like, first thought, swear to God, I'm being punked. I'm being fucking punked. That's got to be, that's got to be it. I'm like, ah, somebody's going to jump out with a camera. Like, this isn't that big of a fucking deal. Oh, he was pissed, hot, threw his microphone. This is waste my fucking time. Walks the fuck off. I call ET. I go, that didn't go well. <laughs> he said, uh, I go, I don't know if I've ever been more disrespected by anybody before i i didn't insult the guy i just said i didn't see the movie quite frankly i don't have time to see the movie while i'm here it's not like i'm you know out fucking around got my feet up and hanging out with celebrities you know drinking tea up on the fucking mountain i got interviews all day long and i was like i hope you don't put them on the show and and they're like oh that's unbelievable like we can't believe he treated you that way so I get back and I, I look at the tape the uh, after, you know, after I get back from Sundance. Did they air him? Oh, yeah. Walking around Sundance, all the big role of him. They didn't even care that, that he disrespected me or or the show. I was like, I get the pecking order here. I well, got here's it. the thing. But I could tell the story for the rest of my life. How you were an asshole to me. <laughs> this day and age, there's no way they like people wouldn't air that like that would, would be horrible right. today it's, you're, you're exactly right it's a completely different day as a matter of fact you would hope for that moment yeah. you would go holy shit i just mined gold and by the way why is ashen such an asshole because there's so many times where i'm like this guy is so funny and he comes across so cool but like in real life he's a total dick like numerous times i and i always I always kind of reset to this. I don't know what his day was. He was probably very hounded. I'm sure that relationship being in it was his very, very introduction to fame, real fame, being with Demi Moore. Mm -hmm. That was real fame, his real moment. It may have been tough for him, and I am compassionate to that because I've I've been around those circles and I've 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 seen that before. So 
I I always default to I'm not sure what he was thinking. I don't know if he would do that today. But, you know, if you're going to ask me the question, I'm going to tell the story. Yeah, because, I, you know, no one ever said, hey, I'm sorry, I was a complete dick to you for no reason, because I, I, I can understand it. I mean, just saying what I just said to you, I, I can totally understand what he may have been going through. But that didn't make me feel any better. No, I'll I tell you that. I think he's like that. All the time. By the way, fun fact. <laughs> you're Ashton like, blocked like, me on oh, Twitter. <laughs> Did he really? Congratulations. Yeah. Well, that was the whole day when he. Hold on, I just checked. He just blocked me, too. <laughs> and the thing, mine got blocked after he punked TMZ. He did this, like, thing where he punked TMZ for, like, a pop chips, like, spoof thing where he came around and he had. I remember walking out of TMZ one day and I went to get in the elevator and all of a sudden, like, three camera guys rushed in the elevator and they started asking me these, like, questions that. I literally had no idea what they were saying. I'm like, what are you talking about? What's going on? Like, why are there paparazzi on me? Like, it makes no sense. But I'm t- like, the questions were like, how many kids do you have? Do you feel bad that you didn't adopt from Africa? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and I remember getting off the elevator and walking away being like, I, I don't get that. Well, it ended up being for Ashton. He was basically, he was in a newsroom as like Harvey and he was pitching out videos of TMZ people being papped. And then he ended up, like, blocking me. I'm like, you're the one that did it to me. I did nothing to you, and you blocked me on Twitter. Like, what the fuck? And no one gave a shit about the video either way. They're like, oh. No, like, dude. But now I don't think he's an actor. He goes, he's an entrepreneur. So it's, uh, that's his whole gimmick now. Sally Kirkland was the actress in the lobby. Ah, Sally Kirkland. Sally Kirkland. Well, Booker, thank you so much for joining us. This has actually been a very, very fun podcast, hearing your stories. Not everyone gives up so many stories. I feel like people just forget them, and you must have a, a a steel trap in your brain. I love this. The best thing is about me, I have the worst memory of anyone you'll ever meet. I have a terrible memory. I must have made most of these stories up. Um, <laughs> I, I really I don't recall a lot, but these moments are like music to me. I remember music, and I remember these crazy moments, but outside of that, I don't remember much. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was really fun having you on. Booker, where can people find you on social media? Chris Booker everywhere. Chris, Chris Booker, Booker everywhere. And then on Amp Radio here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Adam, thanks for joining us, obviously. They can find you at Adam Glenn on Instagram and Twitter and at your mom's house. All kinds of yeah. fun stuff. That's where I'm at Penn right Station. now. Penn <laughs> Station. Yeah. Penn Station. Uh, exactly. And I am Wait. Jax Holt. Be sure to check Hollywood Pipeline for all the latest news, celebrity news, gossip, fun photos, videos. All kinds of stuff. We're breaking all kinds of things over here. So anyway, have a wonderful week. We will see you guys next one. Later.